Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. Hey, can we show our band some love this morning? Thank them for incredibly leading us into the Lord's presence today. Man, we are so blessed at Grace Crossing Church. I hope you realize that. We are so blessed to have the team of servants and volunteers that we have here in so many different areas. Um, I just walk through our church sometimes on Sunday mornings, and I, I'm just astonished by the people that God has graced our church with and uh, the people that just serve out of the abundance and overflow of their love for God. And it's just, it's an amazing thing. So, so grateful for not only people that are just highly gifted, which is a gift, but people that are just humble in their service. And everybody who serves on this band, I can tell you, do so out of a heart of humility and a heart of grace. And so very thankful. Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you throughout this series, throughout this talk, four questions that I want you to think about, I want you to ponder uh, throughout the service today and take with you into your week. Um, And here's the first question I wanna ask you as we get started this morning. How are you doing resting in the mystery? When things are hard to explain, when things are difficult to understand, when there's uh, uncertainty in your life, how are you doing? Resting in the mystery. The series has all been about that very theme that we are leading actually in this season of Lent, which will take us all the way into Easter because so much that is surrounding Easter is mysterious, isn't it? And as we prepare our hearts and we continue to walk this road, this journey with Jesus toward the cross, Uh, We want to think about ways that we can be resting in mystery. So this morning, as we continue this series, I'm actually wanting to pick up where we kind of left off last weekend. Uh, But before we do, I want to just give you, right as we begin, the big idea for this morning's talk. This is what we're going to wrap our comments and our thoughts around this morning. Here's today's big idea. Resting in the mystery... means that we are resting in the assurance that we are God's beloved children. I know that sounds elementary to you. Sounds simple, but it's not. Resting in the mystery means that I am resting in the assurance that I am God's beloved child. Last weekend, as we talked about remaining in Christ, abiding in the vine, we actually ended in John chapter 15 with verse number eight. This morning, we're going to pick up with one verse, and it's the very next verse that John writes in John chapter 15, verse number nine. Here's what John writes. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That word abide just simply means to remain, to relax, to rest. It means to be at home with, to be fully present with. 
And here's what I've discovered in my life. Resting begins with abiding. And resting ends there as well. And here's what I mean. Until I learn to practice abiding, I will never find rest. And when I fail to practice abiding, I fail to find rest. When Kelly was diagnosed with advanced cancer in December of 2020, this was God's invitation to me to abide, to remain, to rest, to relax in God's love. I carried that with me into my sabbatical in 2021. And I had an extended period of time to just practice this, to live in this. I woke up every morning with an awareness that I wanted to live and step into my day, abiding, remaining, relaxing, resting in God's love. And it was wonderful. And I felt the significance and the assurance of being God's beloved child deeply loved and held by his love. And then life happens. And you come out of sabbatical and you move back into the rhythms of life and, and sometimes the distractions of life keep you from practicing abiding, don't they? And all of a sudden we find ourselves being distracted and disrupted and we fail then. And so I've been praying since then that God would give me the grace to live every single day abiding in the reality that I am his beloved son. And here's a second question for you to ponder today. What is distracting you from abiding in God's love? What in your life today distracts you from just resting and relaxing in God's love. I think one of the things that prevents us from abiding in God's love, which was Jesus' invitation to all of us, I think one of the things is an inaccurate appraisal of who we are in God. When we do not understand who we are in God, it will keep us, it will prevent us, it will distract us from abiding. Of all of the things that Jesus talked about in his relationship to God, the most common motif that Jesus ever uses in the Gospels is that of his relationship to God as a father which means that Jesus related to God as a child. Don't miss this. The primary way in which Jesus related to God was that he was a father and he was a son. And because Jesus accurately knew who he was in God, he was able to live every day of his life being fully present with that reality and even though distractions came, he would come back to his center of a reality of who he was in God. He would come back to that assurance that anchored him and grounded him. And so it's so interesting in the Gospels, the disciples come to Jesus one day and they have a question for Jesus. 
And this question is really pretty stunning when you think about their relationship to Christ. Matthew chapter 18, verse number one. Here's the question the disciples come and ask Jesus one day. The disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What they were really asking literally was this. Who is the most significant in God's eyes? Who's the most significant in the eyes of God in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Jesus could have easily answered that question and said, I'm the most significant in God's eyes. And nobody would have argued the point, right? He could have pointed to any of his disciples. He could have used any illustration of any of his followers who had sacrificed much to follow him. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, what Jesus does has always puzzled me. And it is a mystery. Verses two and three of Matthew chapter 18. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They're concerned about who's the most significant. Jesus is concerned about who is going to be part of the life of God on earth. That's what the kingdom of heaven represents. He used it interchangeably for the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and it was all about the life of God. How do we enter into the life of God? Well, in the first century, not unlike today, people were generally esteemed based on their perceived significance. So generally speaking, males were more significant than females. And females were more significant than children. Children in the social structure are at the bottom of the totem pole. It wasn't even, we want you to be seen and not heard. It was rather, we don't want you to be even around and annoying what we're doing here. Because you as children have no significant place. And what Jesus says here has always been a mystery to me because what he does is he says there are two things that are going to be necessary for you to be able to enter into the life of God and abide in God's love. First of all, you must turn. That word is an action word. It is a verb that means to change direction and demeanor. There's an act of the will that is involved in this, but it is a change in direction and a change in demeanor. You must turn. But then he says something remarkable. He says, you must become childlike. You must become childlike. When Jesus uses this term child, here in this passage, the word is actually speaking of a very young child, likely under the age of seven could even be a toddler or perhaps even an infant. 
That is the illustration. That is the picture Jesus wanted them to have for who is the most significant in God's eyes. It is not the people. What Jesus does here is he upends the social order. And he says, I'm going to take what you think is most significant and I'm going to put it down here. And I'm going to take that which you think is least significant, I'm going to place it up here. Highest priority. What Jesus does is he takes a very young child, one that is needy, one that is dependent, one that actually cannot take care of themselves and recognizes their limits. And he says, there's your illustration. That's the greatest in the kingdom. Then he says this in verse four. He adds to it. Verse number four, Matthew chapter 18. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus says here is this. He says, the humblest is the greatest. Now, I ask myself this question when I read this. What did this child do to humble themselves? I mean, what could this child possibly have done to humble themselves so that Jesus would use the illustration? I don't think the child did anything. I think the child just was. He takes a child and he says, if you will become like her, completely dependent, needy, not self-reliant. And the humility comes in the fact that you don't do anything, you just are. And by just being what you are, there is something beautiful in God's eyes. I think what Jesus was pointing out here was, was really profound. I think Jesus was simply saying that humility is full dependence on God. It is the inability to rely on yourself, to do anything to take care of yourself. You're dependent on those who take care of you. And in this case, he was saying, if you become like that kind of person to me, if you become a child in that sense, that you see yourself as not being self-contained, independent, I can handle it myself, but you rather will see yourself as needy, dependent, not self-reliant. You're seen as the greatest. And I think Jesus is also suggesting here that you are being your true self. Children are who they are. In fact, I'm going to say something now that probably is going to, going to be hard for some of you to hear. But what I've learned in life, as I have, in my own life, have experienced being a child of God more fully, is that I have realized that humility often involves humiliation of your false self. 
Our false self is not what we are born with. Our false self is the person we create into adolescence and adulthood to make other people be impressed by us. To protect ourselves, to protect our image. And, and when we are walking like children in humility, and he says the humblest, if you'll humble yourself, I think what Jesus is suggesting is if you will just simply experience the humiliation of your false self, you then will see your true self emerge in a greater way. And that will make you most significant in God's eyes. Because as you get in touch with your true self, you are more fully who God created you to be. Now this morning, there is connective tissue to what we're talking about here and what neuroscience has only discovered in the last hundred years. Psychiatrist Kurt Thompson actually says that every human has a primary need and that primary need is to be fully known and thereby fully loved accurately. That our deepest need and our deepest desire is to be really known. And he goes on to suggest that to be known means that you have got to experience and have four things happen to you. You have to be seen. You have to be soothed. You have to be made to feel safe. And you have to be secure. That in our lives, developmentally, we cannot develop and mature into full, healthy adults and actually have healthy interpersonal relationships without experiencing those things. And listen, if you don't experience them as a child, you're going to have to experience them as an adult somewhere. You're going to have to have people come around you. And in the humiliation of your false self, you're going to have to let people know you so that you can be fully and deeply loved accurately. Not loving our false self, but loving our true self in all of its brokenness and all of its beauty. It's accepting us fully as we are. So I wanna briefly unpack each of those this morning in light of scripture, because I think they're profound when we think of what Jesus is talking about when he says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot have the life of God flow in you the way I desire. We have got to be seen. What develops us is not just that we are seen, watch this, but that we are seen being seen. It isn't enough that we are seen. It, we've got to see others seeing us. And that is what develops us, helps us be known. And in life, if we are not, if we do not see others seeing us, and certainly we don't see God seeing us accurately, it then affects everything. So there's a really profound story that we're not going to go deeply into in the book of Genesis. But in the book of Genesis, there emerges a name of God that is perhaps the most unfamiliar name of God in the Hebrew. It actually comes from the mouth of a maidservant 
by the name of Hagar, who is actually misunderstood and mistreated, and she flees to the wilderness to get away. She's by herself. And the angel of the Lord appears to her. And here's what she says in response. Genesis chapter 16. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Now watch this. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She was saying, I'm not just seen, but I am seeing the one who sees me. So here's the third question for you this morning. How do you see God seeing you? This is profound. How do you see God seeing you? Do you see God seeing you in judgment and condemnation? Or do you see God seeing you with joy and delight and pleasure? Sadly, most Christians see God seeing them through the spiritual lenses of the former. They see God seeing them in judgment, condemnation. For many years of my early Christian life, and some of those, many of those, were in ministry. I did not see God seeing me with joy, delight, and pleasure. I saw God seeing me the way my parents, I perceived, saw me. And so when I saw God seeing me, I saw them much the way I understood I was perceived as a child, that I was a disappointment, and that I wasn't worth celebrating. And I had to begin to wear new lenses. And those new lenses were given to me through Scripture. That I began to see myself more clearly through what the Scripture teaches about how God sees us. And it is so significant that we begin to see ourselves and, and see how God is seeing us correctly. Because how we see God seeing us is significant for us being known and then being loved accurately. The second thing to be known is you've got to be soothed. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. What a wonderful God we have. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, and the one and the one who so wonderfully comforts us and strengthens us in our hardship and trials. When children are disrupted, what they need more than anything else is they need to see and experience their caregiver soothing them, comforting them. A child that does not receive that is a child that's going to have deficits and it's going to affect interpersonal relationships. And so this idea of us being not only seen by God, but soothed by God is significant because we need to experience a God who comforts us, a God who soothes us in our pain and our hardships. This past week, I was doing a business transaction, and I was asked to provide my driver's license 
And I handed the guy my driver's license. He took one look at my license and then he looked up at me and he said, was it hard being a child with that name? I needed a hug. I just needed a hug, you know? <laughs> this is a true story. Can you imagine? He almost broke the deal, like right there. I said, yeah, it was at times, Mike. It was, it was. I wanted to call him something different, you know, just make up some name. <laughs> I went home and I told Kelly, and she couldn't believe that somebody would actually say that to me. And I felt her comfort in the understanding of how painful that is, right? Now, fortunately, I've made amends with my name, so it didn't have the energy it once would have had. But listen, we, we need to experience a God who comforts us in our afflictions and our hardships. We need to be known, we need to be safe. We need to be safe. Psalm 4 says this, I can lie down and sleep soundly. Now notice, this is rest. This is rest. I can lie down and sleep soundly because you, Lord, will keep me safe. Did you know that when you sleep, it's the only time in your life that you have no control over what happens to you? None. Zero. You are, you are in your probably most vulnerable state when you sleep. And the psalmist knew that. And he says, because of you, God, I can rest peacefully. I can rest sec securely, which brings us to that final thing, secure. To be known, we've got to be seen, we've got to be soothed, we've got to experience safety, and we've got to be secure. And according to Dr. Thompson, this is significant, he says, until we experience being seen and soothed and safe, we'll never be secure, which means we'll never be fully known. God gave me this scripture back early in our journey with Kelly's cancer. Here it is, Psalm 112. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. Now, as we, we close and move us into a time of communion this morning, there is a, a story that Jesus tells that actually powerfully illustrates what neuroscience has only learned in the last hundred years. It is a story, a parable that Jesus tells of a father with two sons and it is a story of which we will never plumb the depths of this side of eternity. This father with two sons, his younger son comes to him and demands an inheritance. His part of the inheritance. The father willingly gives it and this young man takes his newfound treasure, his fortune, and he goes off to a faraway country and the Bible says he spends all of it on indulging himself. Penniless, he finally comes to his senses and he turns his heart back toward home. 
But as he does, he realizes something. He realizes that he could never again show his face in front of his father as his son. So here's what he decides. He decides, I'm going to go to my father because I know he's wealthy. And instead of going to him as a son, I'm going to say to him, treat me or regard me as one of your hired hands. And that will be enough for me. And what happens next? What the father does, which by the way is an illustration of God, is stunning. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. When he, the father, or he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verses 20 and 23. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. The son felt worthless and unworthy. But what the father does in response to his child is he actually sees him from afar off. He soothes him. He actually makes him feel safe, which allows the son to be secure in who he is in God, who he is in his identity. Despite the son's behavior, he was no less a son. He was no less a child. And regardless of what the son had done, what the son had done had never changed or impacted who the son was. He was still a son. He was still a child. He was still going to be fully known and he was fully known in his moment of brokenness. And he's also fully loved in that moment. And friends, this morning, resting in mystery means abiding in God's love. It means abiding in the reality that we are who God says we are. We are beloved children of God. We are held in God's love. And in that, God does all of the things necessary to give us the ingredients we need to grow into adulthood and maturity, into the fullness of Christ, just the way Jesus modeled it for us. And so as, as we prepare this morning for communion, here's the final question I'd like you to ponder. What is the area in my life that I most need to see myself today as God's beloved child? Where do I most need to see myself today as God's beloved child? And let me add a second part to this. Can I trust him to hold me in his love? Can I trust him to hold me in his love.
Resting in the mystery means resting in the assurance that I am God's beloved child and I am fully held in God's love. As our band comes back this morning, we're going to prepare our hearts to move to communion. I'm delighted this morning to uh, have a pastor friend of mine coming to actually lead us through communion. Um, he and his wife, Sheila, have been attending Grace Crossing Church for about three and a half years, but I've known Ron for many, many years. He pastored a church in Xenia, Xenia First Assembly, for 37 years, one church for 37 years. And I've got to watch him live his life faithfully and do his ministry faithfully before God. I was delighted when they started attending our church a number of years ago and became part of our church family. And I, I asked him if he would do the honor of coming this morning and leading us through communion. He continues to serve today as a chaplain at Green Memorial Hospital, a resource chaplain at Soin Medical Center. And so he's still involved in caring and shepherding for people and I'm really thankful that he's coming this morning. And as he comes, I want you to open your heart you should have received your elements as you came in this morning. If for some reason you did not, we want to make sure that you get those and are able to receive those. So yeah, lift a hand if you need one. We'll bring those quickly to you and make sure that you, uh, we want everybody to be served here in our auditorium. So we want to make sure if you're joining us at a broadcast at home, uh, this would be a great time for you to grab something, a cracker, a piece of bread, uh, maybe a little juice from your refrigerator. If nothing else, grab some water. And if Jesus can turn water to wine, he can turn that into whatever you want it to be or need it to be as you receive communion this morning. <laughs> We're going to open our hearts uh, and, as Pastor Ron comes to lead us this morning. Did Pastor Go open the service by uh, thanking the band and all the volunteers here at the church. And we are certainly blessed to have a pastor with such insight into the Word of God. And uh, today, as uh, we think of uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, I'm reminded that uh, it says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're uh, thinking of the Lord's death until Jesus comes again. And in that passage in Corinthians in chapter 11, Paul says to examine ourselves. Certainly one thing that... Uh, I'm glad as pastor, and Pastor Go, I'm sure would say as well, I'm glad we don't have to examine you to decide if you're worthy or not to partake of the emblems. In fact, it's interesting in that verse, uh, in chapter 11, verse 28, he says to examine ourselves and then partake. The examining is never one to exclude ourselves. Uh, when we come to this table, it's not like, well, I guess I can't take. No, because of what the Lord's done. And today, uh, so beautifully portrayed to us through the Word of God, Pastor Gill said that uh, Christ has done a work. So these emblems represent that work, that uh, body that was broken, that blood that was shed. And certainly, to come humbly before the Lord. That's a great part of your uh, being here. You talk a lot about the humility, one of your key verses. I thought of the uh, uh, example of... Uh, the coach and uh, certainly right now if you're a basketball fan it's a big time of the year and uh, that coach uh, was telling some other coaches that 
when you lose, say little. And when you win, say less. In other words, be humble. And uh, as I see many times coaches interviewed, often they're wise to say, you know, uh, uh, we're just really thankful today that uh, we got through this. And we come to our walk with the Lord, yet we come humbly. Uh, we're not the greatest. We're to humble ourselves before him. And as that little child, I sometimes at the hospital, I'll see that little child going uh, home uh, first day uh, to see their home. And uh, they're under the complete care of those that are taking them. And today, that's how the Lord wants us to come. If you have your emblems there, if you'll open them, just peel that open. That body was broken for us. I remember watching the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And the one scene where they do the hammering. And I was sitting there thinking, that's enough. That's enough. You know, we got the point, but really, it was much more that he went through. Probably beaten beyond recognition. And he did it for us today. Let's partake together. that blood that was shed for us. Our God, today we reflect on your great love. Lord, what you've done for us and what you're still doing and what you'll continue to do. And Lord, we thank you today that as we come around this table, and Lord, we can be thankful for you and your love. In a few weeks, we'll commemorate the Good Friday, the time when your son died on that cross. And also looking forward to that day when we celebrate the resurrection, that to know Christ lives, and God, because of that great gift, we can be like that prodigal to come into your presence today to just say, Lord, thank you that you allow us to be your children. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Ron, for leading us this morning. You know, communion in and of itself is a mystery, isn't it? That we are invited to this table just as we are, just as we are. We're welcomed with the assurance that we are God's beloved children held in God's love. Here's the reality. You cannot do anything to make God love you anymore. And you cannot do anything to make God love you any less. He loves you. We are his. Let's stand together.
Father, we ponder this morning with gratitude all that you have given us in your word to remind us of who we are. With that assurance that we are your beloved sons, your beloved daughters, we, we can rest. We can rest, Lord, in that mystery that we're fully accepted, we're fully known, and we're fully loved. Thank you today. And nothing that we do can ever change who we are. We receive, Lord, your grace. We receive your love. We receive your kindness today, your mercy that is new every morning. And we've experienced that here today, a new mercy, reminded through the emblems of the broken body, the bread, and the shed blood, the cup. As we have received, Lord, those emblems into our physical bodies, we ask now that you'll receive us into your body fully, that we can rest in the assurance that we're part of this wonderful, mysterious, universal body of Christ, and that we can grow with our brothers and sisters into the fullness of God, just as Christ did, just as he is. And so we ask you, Lord, to guide us, to direct us, and direct our hearts more fully and more deeply into your love throughout this week, that we'll be aware of who we are in you. Pray these things, all of these, in the name of Christ, who loved us so much he gave his life for us. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.